American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Obsessed with time Come on, tell me about the time Had it all in my hand tonight Had the time When the words all come down Like blues on Tuesdays come down Throw it all away Throw it all away <laughs> All right, ready? Yep. Welcome, Welcome to, to another, another episode, episode of, of American Timelines. I'm Amy. And I am former MTV VJ Mark Goodman. Was that even a VJ? Mark Goodman? Black curly-haired, long curly-haired guy? I One of the remember. You can't name the original VJs? No. Martha Quinn? Yeah. J.J. Jackson? Mm-hmm. Nina Blackwood? Yeah. Mark Goodman? Yeah. And Alan Hunter? That's pretty impressive. Yeah. And I am Mark Goodman. I'm the long, long-haired, long, curly, uh, black hair. VJ guy. sounds like somebody's... VJ. Somebody's Nobody's a VJ anymore. V- they stopped using that term. VJ sounds like a sex act. Yeah, I'll give you a VJ. That's what it sounds like. It sounds like a sex well, act. What would a VJ be? A, uh, I'm not, I don't want to get... A vag- vagina job? Yeah. It would be yeah, why don't rubbing get jobs? your beaver on things. Well, there's not a DJ. It's not a dick job. There could be. We should invent those. Let's experiment. DJ, VJ. Let's experiment what could be a VJ or a DJ. Let's, I uh, think they probably have it on Urban Dictionary. It's probably already, somebody's already called it. Urban Dictionary, I notice, has been branching out. They have everything. I've, they've been slacking lately, yeah. I've noticed. Well, I've noticed they have like actual <laughs> real definitions of words. And they have do? have no sexual connotation. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah, I found a word the other day. I was looking up something I was looking up. And, it was and like, you looked in Urban Dictionary? I was like, oh, i got to see what the Urban Dictionary is for that. And it was just the definition of it. Whatever, <laughs> it was like a cheese grater or something. And it was like, uh, yeah, no, it's actually just a, a metal yeah. instrument that slice of cheese or whatever it was. You're kidding. No, yeah, I think it's branched out. So maybe someday the Urban Dictionary won't just be rusty trombone. I love that. I love yeah. that it's, that it, <laughs> yeah. like, because I always loved the idea of a old person trying to look up a dictionary yeah, on of, of online to use. And, well, well, no, no, they're, they're trying to look up a word and they accidentally, oh, Urban accidentally. Dictionary okay. comes up. So they're typing in a word that they really don't know the meaning of and some sex... A definition thing. comes up. That's always been something I would wished happens oh, okay. all the time. I thought you were saying you like the thought of someone who's not hip but doesn't know what the slang the kids are talking about. So they look it up. So they can look it up on this Urban Dictionary, which is starting to become the reality for me. Like, yeah, I love hip hop music. Yeah, but you don't understand what they're saying. Ever. Yeah, and it's gotten to a point where I don't. What, what are they talking about? So I have to. I have, you to, have to like to Google. Look up Urban Dictionary. I have to Google what people are saying sometimes. Is it sad? You know, like. Uh, Cardi B was talking about, um, you know, I've talked about this, but you, I think you have talked her about vagina this. on offset, and I didn't know what an offset was, and there was a guy in a band, but there's been other things like right here, oh, that's what that is. skirt, skirt. I didn't know what skirt, skirt meant, and you know they say skirt, skirt, and it's just kind of like saying they're gonna take off, like skirt, get in a car, skirt, skirt, skirt. You ever heard that? There's a bunch of songs no. that just go skirt, skirt, and there's a guy named uh, Savage Twenty One. Have you ever heard of this guy? No. Um, he, I don't know if he's got a tick or if he has uh, Tourette's, mm-hmm. but he says. 21. His name is Savage 21. What? But he says 21 be- between each line. Does he say that he Power says? 5 Ultra Ultra? 21, kind of. <laughs> yeah, so every single song that he's in, you know, it's, I figure out it's him because he goes 21 after every line that he says. What? So he'll be like, Why? Uh, That's his name, too? Yeah, like if he was MC Hammer, he'd say, I got sweat running all over my chest. 21. What? Why does he do that? I don't that? quit. No, I'll just press 21. Why does he do that? <laughs> I, think he, I think he has Tourette's. Does he really? Yeah, he really says 21 after every line. I know he really does that, but does he really have Oh, Tourette's? I have no idea if he's got it. He was just deported. Like, uh, what? Donald Trump deported him because he was from England. story gets more and more yeah, fascinating this guy, 20, as you tell Savage it. 21 is his name, and he goes 21 after everything he says. And he got deported by Donald Trump? Yeah, I don't know if it was Donald Trump particularly, but this whole thing where he's trying to... Uh, Anybody Trump who's not white and rich has to get out of the country. I bet mothers, like Spanish England. mothers, tell their children, if you don't you don't clean your room, Donald yeah, Trump Donald is Trump coming, is coming for after you. you. That's true. Make America great again. 
Yeah. Anyway, that's yeah. took a turn. It uh, did. It did take a turn. Anyway, this is episode 53, I think. No, and I'm actually Joe. I'm not. Whoa. Wait. Back I know, it up. I fooled back it everybody. Up, back it yeah. up, baby. Bag it up, bag it up, bag it up. I'm not Mark Goodman. I'm not a famous VJ. I, I couldn't remember what you said. Yeah, this is 1981. This is 2001, baby. And 2001? I, what are you talking about? Yeah, this isn't 1981. This is 20 years after that. This is 2001. No, this we're not talking day. about 2001. Oh, this is 2118. No, what year is this? 2019. Yes. I, don't you feel like it's still 2001 sometimes? No. I no, wish. That's 2019, y'all. I love 2001. Oh, you love September 11th? No. I mean, I... You love terrorism. Pre... I love early 2001, I guess I should say. George W. Bush was president? No, I didn't... I don't care about that so much. I love my life. Your life. You were a lot younger. You didn't have kids. Yep. Your skin lived just in snapped Chicago. back. You didn't have any wrinkles. Lived in Chicago. You didn't have all those all those gray pubes. What? Anyway, let's just jump into the year before two. (laughs) Just kidding. Before we get to. You're cutting that out. I'm putting it back in. No, you're cutting it out. I just put it back in. No, you better. You get it out. Get it out of there. I just put it back in. I'll kick you in the neck. But but just know that I took it out several times, but I kept putting it back in. Stop it. What? Okay. Uh, What year are we on? What year are we talking about? 1979. We have made it almost through the whole decade. 70s, yes. Holy crap, we're almost to the end of 79, and it'll be kind of neat because this will wrap up into a bow. With the uh, 80s. Going into our previous season. That's right. That'll be crazy. We're going back 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 back. in time. Going to go back in time. (laughs) (laughs) That's stupid. Everybody hates us. No wonder nobody listens to us. (laughs) Going to go back in time. Let's just say that a bunch more times. <laughs> Gonna go back in time. If you're listening to this right now on your way to work, uh, if you're on the train, if you're in your car, please, next person you interact with, just just say several times. Just Whatever they say to you, just say, Gonna go back in time. And just don't ever say anything else. Unless you were going to tell them to, like, Headbutt the next person. Well, you can headbutt them if you want. Because this no, podcast like, is so stupid. No, it is stupid. But I just like if you order a coffee and somebody's like, oh, that's, uh, do you want, uh, what kind of coffee you want, sir? And you say, well, I'll have a large latte. Can I go back in time? Uh, what, sir? Uh, just give me a large latte. Can I go back in time? And then you order it and they say, oh, okay, mm-hmm. that'll be 1375. Okay, gonna go back in time. Or if you're at work, work, you're like, hey, Hey, uh, Marvin, how was your? How are you doing this morning? Good. Mm-hmm. How about this weather we're having? Gonna go back in time and just walk away from him. I just think that'd be funny. Just yeah. do that one whole day. You might get fired. I think you might get punched in the face. Or you might, you get, might get. There might be a psych eval done. Could, yeah. Anyway, jump you might have the, an IEP by the end of the day. That's true. That is an individual education, education plan, plan. Um, for people with developmental disabilities. But let's jump into 1979. <laughs> When uh, where at the beginning of the year the price of a gallon of gas in 1979 was 88 cents. We're going into a, we're going into a year where the first strawberry shortcake doll went on sale. Okay. This was the year that Dockin, Loverboy, and Huey Lewis and the News were formed. Sweet. This is the year that the slogan "Have a Coke and a Smile" Have was used. Have a Coke and a smile makes you feel good. Reach out I and touch someone. That. I remember. Um, how did that go? Bill Cosby, have a Coke and a smile. Shut the hell up. Yeah. Reach out, reach out and touch someone. AT&T. I was trying to remember the tune. I don't think that's right. Reach out, reach out, reach out and touch someone. Motherfucker. 21. No, none of that is right. <laughs> I can't remember exactly. There is no 21. I was like, reach out, reach out. 21. Um, uh, another famous ad was nothing comes between me and my Calvins. Yes. Was that Brooke Shields? It was Brooke Shields as a 12-year-old naked kid. It was gross and everybody Jesus. liked it. Um, in 1979, you could call a 1-800 number and listen to messages from Star Wars characters Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, C-3PO, and Darth Vader. Oh. Yep. The uh, Black & Decker released the now infamous cordless mini vacuum, the Dust Buster, Did in it. 1979. That's mm-hmm. that old, huh? It is that old. Uh, a large number of Swedish people were calling in sick with a case of being homosexual in 1979. What? To, to protest homosexuality being labeled an illness. Oh, good. Yeah, so they were like, 
they were like protesting and said, F you. Good. Um, Victoria's Secret stores opened in 1979. Did they? Mm hmm. The top. Five TV shows were MASH, Alice, That's Incredible, Three's Company, and number one, 60 Minutes in 1979. Three's Company. Love it. When the Peanuts started in 1950, Charlie Brown was four years old. He was? Yeah, in, in 1950. And he was, in 1957, they aged him to six. And then by 1979, they aged him to eight, and they kept so him So Sally's age. supposed to be like two or three? At the beginning, the, the first, beginning? and the early, he was real little. But then he. But ended Sally's up, his younger sister. Yeah, but nineteen uh, Sally probably wasn't in it, in it in until nineteen seventy nine. By nineteen seventy nine, he was eight. Okay. So Sally's probably six. Yeah. Uh, the first time a black character appeared in a video game was in nineteen seventy nine's Basketball on the Atari eight hundred. Oh. Earlier versions of that game, they were like purple and yellow, and then they finally made him look like regular skin tones, and it was a black guy. Oh, that's good. Yeah, black guy in basketball. And then uh, in 1979, the uh, the wrestler of the year was Harley Race. God bless it. The match of the year was Harley Race versus Dusty Rhodes. The tag team of the year was Ivan Putski and Tito Santana. The most hated wrestler of the year was Greg Valentine. Greg the Ham of Valentine makes it into a podcast every year. I know. How does that happen? Greg the Ham of This is a Greg the Ham of Valentine no, it's podcast. Not a Rookie of the year Valentine was Sweet Brown podcast. Sugar, who later became Coco Beware. Um, Richard Pryor yeah. in 1979 was the first comedian to perform at the original Laugh Factory. When the owner attempted to pay him, he declined, and he handed him a $100 bill saying, you need this for your rent, boy. Huh, really? Yeah, because he's Richard Pryor. Yeah, Richard fucking Pryor. He's Richard nice. fucking Pryor. Um, Richard Pryor was awesome. Uh, there's an album that came out in 1979, and I couldn't, I, I've scoured it for hours. Yeah. And I couldn't find the date it came out. Yeah. But it came out in 1979. Okay. It was an album by Guy Lafleur, who, mm-hmm. was, who was a player for the Montreal Canadiens, a hockey player. Uh-huh. He released an album called Lafleur, and it consisted of Lafleur giving hockey instructions over the sound of disco music. No. <laughs> yeah. It's true, and you can find it on-, on Can you find it? It's on YouTube. Did you listen to it? Uh, a, a briefly. There's Some of it's in French. There's one in French and one in English. But the best is the inside cover of the album is like uh, uh, pictures of him shirtless, like oh sitting by, with his hockey gear, like slumped around his yeah around him, and he's a shirtless guy, <laughs> just a shirtless white guy. Oh my god! And it's uh, it's ridiculously terrible. But disco is awful in general. But what, where did you find that information about that? I think I originally saw it on PopCulture.us, which is where I kind of get a lot of the info, yeah. and I go and research most of it. But it's in you can find it on YouTube. Yeah, uh, that's crazy. Yeah, that's ridiculously dumb. He was a good player, but why would you? Why would you do that? I have no idea. People love it. People don't love it. People love it. Everyone loves it. Brian McCartney. That's all he listens to, other than our podcast. <laughs> yeah, like up oh, back to back to Lafleur, <laughs> and then he jerks off. No, all right. Why, do you gotta, why does it got to go there? Why does it got to end there? Have you never met Brian McCartney? Okay. Um, the, uh, on, on New Year's Eve, 78, so it was, went over to past midnight on mm-hmm. January 1st, 1979. The Grateful Dead mm-hmm. played their final concert at the iconic Winterland venue in San Francisco on New Year's Eve, which it lasted over eight hours. Mm-hmm. A concert for eight hours. Oh, my God. The guests were treated to a hot buffet breakfast at dawn when the show ended. Wow. It didn't end until dawn. Whoa. What in the hell? They must have been on some major drugs. Well, a lot of drugs. And as we remember from last episode, Chic, La yeah. Freak was number one, the number one song. Yep. Um, Freak out. And an L.A. man... Mm-hmm. Okay, I think this is another thing where I didn't have a date exactly, but this happened in 1979. Let's see what this is. I can't I don't remember. Okay. An L.A. man received... Okay, I like this. Uh, an L.A. man received thousands of parking tickets due to DMV computers matching tickets for cars without plates to his custom plate that said was no plate. Oh, my God. N-O-P-L-A-T-E was written on his license plate. Uh, so... Anybody who got a ticket that didn't have a plate, they just would type they in would no type, plate, and, and all it, the tickets all went, went to, to this him. guy. Yeah. So according to Snopes, uh, Robert Barber, Barbauer uh-huh. was his name, 
He found that he found out the hard way when he sent an application to the California Department of Motor Vehicles requesting a personalized license plate of no plate. Um, oh my God! I guess he, if you if you wanted to commit a bunch of crimes, that would be a good thing to have on there. Well, he he wanted sailing as his number one. <laughs> like he had to write three choices on yeah. his application, so he wanted his his license plate to say sailing, and his second choice was boating. And then he he only wanted those two, so he just wrote no plate after that. And they thought that was his third choice. And they choice. thought he wanted it written no plate, but he just didn't want one then. But he didn't, yeah. So oh my god! So they gave him no plate, uh, and then uh, how how didn't somebody say that you can't do that? Like I bet there's a law now because it was 1979. Yeah, but I bet now Everybody there's a law. Mustaches and because of this, there's a law now. They probably he probably can't now. But once he got them in the mail, he thought, well, I'm just going to keep these because this is different. Nobody's got this. And then uh, four weeks later, he served as, he, re, re, he received his first notice for an overdue parking fine from a far away San Francisco. And within days, he began receiving dozens of overdue notices from all over the state on a daily basis. Oh, my God. Why? Because law enforcement officers ticketing illegally parked cars that bore no license plates. They had right no plate in the license plate. I said that. Okay. Um he received 2,500 notices over the next several months. He alerted the DMV to the problem, and the agency responded in a typically bureaucratic way by instructing him to change his license plates. But he had grown too fond of his plates by then oh to boy. want to change them. So he instead began mailing out a form letter in response to each citation. <laughs> oh, man. That method usually worked, although occasionally he had to appear before a judge and demonstrate that the car described on the citation was not his. Good thing it, uh, it hopefully it never was similar yeah, that would really suck. Car. It was What's a similar car, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Isn't that funny. That is funny. That's funny. That's crazy. That. Yeah, I liked it. And then on January sixth, we get a new number one song. On Le the... Freak Say Chic is no no mas. Well, here's the thing: Le Freak goes away, and this song takes over. But then when this song leaves, Le Chic comes back again, and then oh, goes. so I'm not gonna. Replay all that. I'm just gonna skip it. But okay. So and I found out that's kind of happened a few other times. Like songs come back on the number one chart. We're just oh, about the just, new number yeah, the one, new so, new yeah. number one. So this one is a song by the Bee Gees. I get, of course. Oh, it is. Mm-hmm. I don't know this one. I don't think. Barry Gibb, Robin Gibb, and Maurice Gibb wrote this track. The same time they wrote Tragedy. Oh, yes, I know this. Yes. They wrote it in an afternoon. They had an afternoon off from making the Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band movie. God. That same evening, the Gibbs wrote Shadow Dancing for Andy Gibb, but that song was later credited to all four Gibbs. Why did they make the movie? Were they in the movie? They were in it, yeah. The Gibbs were in the Sgt. Pepper's movie? Mm -hmm. What were they doing? Were they playing? They They had the... They play the Beatles? They had the... Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I've never seen it. Or were the Beatles in it? No, I don't think the Beatles were in it. It was the Gibbs, I think. No. They were dressed up like the Sgt. Pepper costume. Oh, really? Yeah. Maybe they were Sgt. Pepper? Anyway, this song's terrible. This is called Too Much Heaven. Yeah. God, why does it like the Bee Gees? No offense, but... I like like them a lot as the, the kitsch factor of it all. Well... Like, there's something about this time period that I love that is endearing. It's probably Well, you were a kid. You had no responsibilities. I I loved being a kid. You didn't have to do anything. So, yeah. You just sleep. It's endearing to me. It's also kitschy. Mm -hmm. And then I like funky music, and some of it's funky. Not all of it. Like, that's pretty crappy. That's shit. Yeah. And anybody who likes it. All right. Can fuck off. No, we're not. (laughs) Sorry. We're not (laughs) doing that. Ah, uh, sorry. If you like it, it's fine. You just go ahead and like it somewhere else. Just not on our it. podcast. They might love it, love it. I'll love it. And then Tuesday, January 9th, 1979, mm-hmm. Vietnamese troops took the Cambodian capital of Phnom Penh and toppled the brutal regime you of nailed Pol Pot that name. and his Khmer Rouge. Khmer Rouge. Khmer Rouge, that's what I said. So what happened? I already said it. <laughs> I know, but it didn't make any sense. On January 9th, 1979, yeah. Vietnamese troops took the Cambodian capital of Phnom Penh and toppled the brutal regime of Pol Pot and his Khmer Rouge. Why'd you say it like that? 
Maru. I'm, I'm just very distracted by your uh, pronunciation. Sunday, January 21st, 1979, the Steelers defeated the Cowboys by the score of 35-31 to 31 in the Super Bowl. Steelers win a lot, huh? Yeah, it's one of their fucking Cowboys. Both fucking they assholes. Both, yeah. uh, it was played in the Orange Bowl in Miami, the fifth and last time that the Super Bowl was played in that stadium. This was the first Super Bowl that featured a rematch of a previous one. Why were the Cowboys so such a big deal in the 80s? In the 80s? They were a big deal in the 70s. I've always felt like when in the 80s, the Cowboys were such a big oh, deal. Oh, yeah, the late 80s. Yeah, so so in the 70s, they were really good, always winning, yeah. just like the Steelers were. So it was like the Steelers, Vikings, Cowboys. But the Steelers and Cowboys won everything in the yeah. 70s. And then, and then they were real sh- they were shitty in the 80s. At the oh. beginning of the 80s. But then they had a great player, and they traded him to the Minnesota Vikings. Oh. The Minnesota Vikings traded not only all of their best players for this guy, all of their future draft picks for years to come. They were like, we will give you oh my God. all of our best picks for the next 10 that's, years. That's a lot right And on all one. of our best players. And you just give us that one running back, Herschel Walker. What? And the Vikings did get me in the trade, too. I became a I Vikings know, fan yeah. with that trade, which is stupid. It was the worst trade in history. Yeah. So the Cowboys got all these great players. Yeah. Plus all these draft picks, in addition to their own draft picks. Yeah. So that first year, they were like, they only won one game. Mm-hmm. But then they had all these draft picks. So they just picked all the best players, mm-hmm. and they just built this dynasty, and then just won all the time after that. All thanks to the Vikings, giving them all their that's team. crazy. So they got Troy Aikman and Michael Irvin and Emmett Smith mm-hmm. and all those guys, and all these great offensive linemen. They just dominated for that. And like so, that's why. Then they won a bunch of Super Bowls and stuff later. That's why they're so big in the eighties. Oh wow! Anyway, this was the Cowboys and the Steelers, and this is the first time uh, it was a rematch. Uh, both teams were attempting to be the first club to ever win a third Super Bowl. And the Steelers did it. Dallas was also the defending Super Bowl champion and finished the 1978 regular season with a 12-4 and record and posted playoff victories over the Atlanta Falcons and the Los Angeles Rams. Pittsburgh entered the game after posting a 14-2 and regular season record and playoff wins over the Denver Broncos and the Houston Oilers. Steelers quarterback Terry Bradshaw was named Super Bowl MVP completing 17 out of 30 passes for Super Bowl records of 318 passing yards and four touchdown passes. Do you want to guess who the national anthem was sung by? Is it going to be... It is. There's no chance in hell you will ever okay. know who it is. So then I don't. It's an a cappella men's chorus from the College of Colgate. Okay, so I'm glad, I, Colgate, I'm glad you didn't per- belabor that. The Colgate 13, you dumbass. All right, what else? Do you want to guess the cost of a Super Bowl ad in 1979? No. You don't even want to guess? Don't even want to guess. $185,000. It's getting expensive. Oh. It's expensive. Expensive. Yeah. That was the Super Bowl. Okay. Anything else about the Super Bowl you want to talk about? Or mm, nope. Anything like you want to talk about? Steelers legends. Or nope, I want to move. I want to move it on down the road. Move it on down the road. Thursday, January twenty fifth, nineteen seventy nine. The first recorded human death by robot oh. occurred when a Ford Motors assembly line worker was killed in Flat Rock, Michigan. What happened? Robert Williams was one of three operators of the parts retrieval system at the Ford Motors assembly plant in Flat Rock, Michigan. Okay. This was a five-story robot built by the Unit Handling System Division of Litton Industries. The robot was designed to retrieve castings from high-density storage shelves at the plant. Part of the machine included one-ton transfer vehicles, which were carts on rubber wheels equipped with mechanical arms to move castings to and from the shelves. When the robot gave erroneous inventory readings, Williams was asked to climb into the racks to retrieve parts manually. Another news account states the robot was not retrieving parts quickly enough. He climbed into, this is all according to Wikipedia. He climbed into the third level of the storage rack where he was struck from behind and crushed by one of the one-ton transfer vehicles, killing him instantly. His body remained in the shelf for 30 minutes until it was discovered by workers who were concerned about his disappearance. So, what, the transfer vehicle killed him? 
Yeah, that was part of the machine. Like these, it was part of the yeah, robot? Yeah, big giant transfer. Part of the machine so it's not included like... a one-ton transfer vehicle that was part of the machine. It's like a vehicle that... So it's not like I'm picturing like from Buck Rogers that robot and going you know no no not like a it's not like a a human it's not like a robot that looks like a person it's a machine okay a robot machine I guess his family sued the manufacturers of the robot Litton Industries alleging that Litton was negligent in designing manufacturing and supplying the storage system and in failing to warn operators of foreseeable dangers and working within the storage area. Uh, they I just, I guess, I don't know what the differentiation between machine and robot is. Like, what makes a machine much. a robot? Mm. Well, this one had arms, like robot arms that like moved and things. I think yeah. if it's like, did you say robot? Robot. Why did you say robot? Because we're in 1979. <laughs> that's what it was. They were robot they were robots. Arms. Yeah, robots. robots. Anyway, his his family sued and they got a bunch of money, ten million dollars. Wow. And then they raised it to fifteen million dollars in '84. It was tied up in court for a long time. Um, and then Ford and Litton were suing each other and all this stuff, and nobody cares about that part of it. But that was the first ever recorded robot murdering a human. Wow. That's and, pretty cool. And then on Friday, January 26th, the very next day of 1979, there was a premiere of a television show on CBS. The Duke family lives oh, in Hazard man. County, Georgia. Their patriarch is Jesse Duke, a farmer and former moonshiner who's very wise and probably the most trusted person in six counties. His nephews, Bo and Luke, and his niece, Daisy, live on the Duke farm with him. Jesse raised Bo, Luke, and Daisy after their parents died in an auto accident. Yes. You'd think they'd drive safer if their parents, if their parents were killed in an auto accident. You'd think they'd, they'd be jumping, less racist, so. too. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, put the KKK flag on her. Yep. Um, it was the premiere of the Dukes of Hazard. Yes. You okay. Like that? And then that same night, there was another show that premiered called Hello Larry, starring McLean Seaman. Hello Larius. <laughs> it was Hello Larius. That that was um, yeah. Remember that? Yep. What's that from? I think that was either Ryan or your brother Andy. Hello Larius. Larry Alder is a 44-year-old divorcee in Portland, Oregon, raising his two teenage daughters and hosting a call-in psychology radio show. Lisa Welch will audition for the show, but she didn't get cast. Boom. Hello, Larry Boom. starred McLean Stevenson, your favorite. McLean Stevenson was my everywhere favorite. in the 70s. Oh, you had a big crush on McLean oh, Stevenson. my favorite. Nope. Well, I don't know why you're with me, because I look just like McLean Stevenson. That's People true. tell me all the time. That's true. People stop me. They're like, you hey, are you, are, you, are, you McLean, are you related to McLean Stevenson? You look like a young... Sexy oh, McLean <laughs> Stevenson. All right, we're moving on. Monday, January 29th, 1979, the Grover Cleveland Elementary School shooting took place. Ah, I don't I don't like Mondays. At a Oh, you know about yeah. this, right? It it took place at a public elementary school in San Diego, California. Yes. Uh the principal and custodian were killed. Eight children and a police officer were injured. I almost did this one. A 16-year-old girl, Brenda Spencer, who lived in the house across the street from the school was convicted of the shootings. Tried as an adult, she pled guilty to two counts of murder and assault with a deadly weapon and was given an indefinite sentence. And she, as of January of 2019, she remains in prison. So, well, this kind of brings up a thing for me then, because uh, people are starting to, there's kind of a backlash now towards true crime fans. Like oh, there there's, is? There's kind of a backlash against these people. Like, it's, it was wildly popular. Oh, man, it's a cool thing to like true crime. And now there's a big backlash of people saying, Wait a minute. Are you are these people going to glorify shootings now? Are the these mass shootings going to be popular in ten years and, and like a, oh. with that same crowd? Is it okay to love mass shooters? Like, are people going to love be obsessed and there's going to be Netflix specials about all these mass shooters? There already that is. There so, already is. So you want to have a big Netflix special and be, have a T-shirt and a coffee mug of the guy who shot up like Newtown Elementary? There, there probably is. Well, all that stuff already. And you don't feel bad about it. I why sh- I don't I don't own it. Okay. Why should I feel bad about it? You're glorifying this mass shooter. No, I'm not glorifying him. I I think it's interesting. Oh. It's an interesting discussion. They're not a fan. No. So you don't like murders? I'm not I'm not a fan of murder, no. Okay. Back to Brenda Spencer. Mm-hmm. A reporter reached Spencer by phone while she was still in the house after the shooting and asked her why she did it. She said, I don't like Mondays. This livens up the day. Yeah. Which inspired Bob Geldof to write the Boomtown Rat song, I Don't Like Mondays. Did you yes, know that? Yes, I did. Uh, anyway, Brenda Spencer 
was born April 3, 1962, and she lived in the San Carlos neighborhood of San Diego, California, in a house across the street from the elementary school. Uh, her dad gave her the gun. Yeah, at age 16, she was five foot two and had bright red hair, and she said to have self-identified as have, having been gay from birth. After her parents separated, she lived with her father, Wallace Spencer, in poverty. They slept on a single mattress on the living room floor with empty alcohol bottles throughout the house. Um, acquaintances said Spencer expressed hostility towards policemen and had spoken about shooting one and had talked of doing something big to get on television. She was a very good photographer mm-hmm. uh, and was uninterested in school. Uh, uh, when she was in high school, a teacher recalled frequently inquiring if she was awake in class. Um, later on, tests revealed uh, while she was in custody that she had an injury to her temporal lobe of her brain. Mm. It was attributed to an accident on her bicycle. Concussion. Yep. Um, In early 1978, uh, she had been referred to a facility for problem students, and and they said she was suicidal. Uh, She was known to hunt birds in the neighborhood. She was arrested for shooting out the windows of the elementary school with a BB gun. Um... And so she was, turned out she had uh, depression, uh, but her father would not give her permission to have it treated. And for Christmas Jeez. 1978, he gave her a Ruger 10-22 semi-automatic 22 caliber rifle with a telescopic sight and 500 rounds of ammunition instead of psychiatric treatment. And she later said, I asked for a radio, and he bought me a gun. Yeah. When asked why he might have done that, she answered, I felt like he wanted me to kill myself. He probably did. That's sad. Yep. And, uh, yeah, I don't want to go too much into the shooting and all that, but um, she injured eight children. uh, And then killed everyone who tried to help the children. Jeez. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Yeah, she fired 30 times, and then she barricaded herself into her home for several hours. While there, she spoke by... uh, Let's see. She began shoot first. She began okay on that morning. She began shooting at children, waiting for Principal Burton Rag to open the gates to the Cleveland Elementary. She injured eight children. Spencer shot and killed Rag as he tried to help the children. She also killed custodian Mike Suchar. Yeah. As he tried to pull a student to safety, a police officer, age twenty-eight, responding to a call for assistance during the incident, was wounded in the neck as he arrived. After firing thirty times, she barricaded herself into her home for several hours. While there, she spoke by telephone to a reporter from the San Diego Union Tri- Tribune. That's when she said she didn't like Mondays. That livens up the days. Man. Yep. And That's she was crazy. not intoxicated at all when they got her. Yep. And then Thursday, February 1st, 1979, Making It premiered on ABC. What? <laughs> what kind of segue? It was a show set in New Jersey and was about the daily life of Billy Minucci, a young man who frequented the local disco club Inferno. At night, while working at an ice cream parlor called Tasty Treats during the day. Yeah, right. Minucci was highly influenced by the disco craze and the movie Saturday, Saturday Night Fever, Fever specifically. Yeah. Remember that show, Making It? No, Making I don't remember it, it at I all. Remember, I remember the logo for it. You do? Making It. Yeah, it's the best. It's like it's, it's funny though. It's it almost was canceled right away. It's almost just like Saturday Night Fever's like. Yeah, they were trying to make plot. It. That's so funny. It's kind of like a, a show off of a movie kind of thing. Yeah. And then the next day, Friday, February 2nd, we have a famous rock and roll death. Do you know who it is? Oh. Where a famous rock and roll person died? In, in 1979? Yeah. No, it's, Elvis already died, didn't he? Yeah. Okay. This is more punk rock. Oh, is it uh, Sid Vicious? Sid Vicious. Nancy you know about Spongin? this? You know about this whole mm-hmm. thing? Yeah. So I didn't know about any of this. Yeah. So there was I, a movie. It said Nancy. Oh. <laughs> I think I thought that was about Sid Caesar <laughs> and and Nancy Sinatra or something. No. <laughs> like I thought that was. Oh well, I want to see that now because this this is like the this is like Courtney Love and and uh, uh, Kurt Cobain. Kurt Cobain to me mm-hmm. when I read this. So yeah, I didn't know any of this. So I'm going to tell the story, and I think I have it pretty. Um, in sections where it makes sense, but I didn't. I didn't know any of this stuff. Okay. Um, so I thought I was going to be like blowing my dropping mind. knowledge on this, but of yeah. course you know all this stuff because it involves possible murder. But 
So on the evening of February 1st, 1979, mm-hmm. a small group of friends, including Jerry, uh, Jerry only of the Misfits, mm-hmm. and future Degeneration founding member Howie Pyro, they gathered to celebrate Sid Vicious having made bail at a friend's Manhattan apartment at 63 Bank Street in New York City. Now, he made, you know what he made bail for? Mm-mm. An assault arrest. Vicious was charged with assault after attacking Todd Smith, singer Patti Smith's brother, at a Scoffish concert at Hurrah, a New York dance club. Oh. Vicious was arrested uh, on December 9th, 1978, and sent to Rikers Island Metro Jail for 55 days to undergo a painful and enforced detoxification. Oh, man. Boom. Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, and he was released on February 1st, 1979. His bail was originally set at $50,000, but lowered after court hearings and negotiations from his lawyer, Malcolm McLaren. Uh, the Sex Pistols manager worked to raise money, and the bond was eventually covered by Virgin Records. John Lydon said that Mick Jagger paid for Vicious's, Vicious's lawyer, praising oh, Jagger wow. for never seeking publicity for this. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, so... That so, sounds so, like Rachel Maddow. Yeah. Uh, Vicious was... You don't You don't look like Rachel Maddow, so quit acting like you want... I know you're trying to dig for fish for a compliment right now. I'm in love with Rachel Maddow. I know you are. Vicious was clean at this point, mm-hmm. having having been on detoxification methadone, a, a, detoxifica- a detoxification methadone program mm-hmm. during his time at Rikers. So I guess it couldn't have been that painful... The detoxification, if he's if they gave him methadone. Well, that said it was painful. I don't know. Methadone, I think, helps with... Well, it probably helps. It still probably sucks. Yeah, I'm but sure. But at the dinner gathering, Vicious had a friend, English photographer Peter Kodick, mm-hmm. deliver him heroin. He had apparently spent hours during the party looking toward the future, planning an, an album he would record to get his life and career back on track should he be acquitted. But Vicious overdosed and died in the night and was discovered by his mother, Ann Beverly, early the next morning. Mm-hmm. In the book Please Kill Me, the uncensored oral history of punk by Legs McNeil and Jillian McCain, Vicious' close friend photographer Eileen Polk said that no New York funeral home was willing to hold a funeral or burial for Vicious due to his reputation. His remains were eventually cremated at Garden State Crematory, uh, Crematory New Jersey, According to Polk, Vicious had stated during his life that he wanted to be buried with Nancy Spungen. Spungen, who was Jewish, is buried in a Jewish cemetery in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. So Vicious's mother, Ann Beverly, later traveled to Spungen's family home in Philly and asked Spungen's mother, Deborah Spungen, if she could scatter Vicious' remains over Spungen's grave. Mm-hmm. Spungen's mother said, Hell no! Mm-hmm. And who is Nancy Spungen? And why did she say no? Nancy Laura Spungen was the American girlfriend of English Sex Pistols bassist Sid Vicious and a figure of the 1970s punk rock scene. Her life and death have been the subject of controversy among music historians and fans of the Sex Pistols. She was raised in Philly. She was an emotionally disturbed child who was diagnosed with schizophrenia at age 15 and was expelled from college and then went to London at the height of the punk rock craze and became involved with Sid Vicious. Their relationship was punctuated by bouts of domestic violence and drug abuse the press soon labeled her nauseating Nancy for her shocking behavior. After the Sex Pistols disbanded, the couple moved to New York City and checked into the Hotel Chelsea, where they spent their time consuming drugs. On the morning of October 12, 1978, Vicious claimed to have awoken from a drugged, a drugged stupor mm-hmm. to find Nancy dead on the bathroom floor of their room in the Hotel Chelsea in Manhattan. She had suffered a single stab wound to her abdomen and appeared to have bled to death. The knife used had been sought by Vicious on 42nd Street and was identical to a 007 flip knife given to punk rock vocalist Steve Batours of the Dead Boys by Dee Dee Ramone. According to Ramone's wife at the time, Vera King Ramone, Vicious had bought the knife after seeing Batours. After seeing Batours. Okay. Vicious... Vicious was arrested and charged with her murder. He said they had fought that night, but gave conflicting versions of what happened next, saying, I stabbed her, but I never meant to kill her. Then saying that he did not remember, and at one point during the argument, Spongen had fallen onto the knife. Oh, yeah. Um, on, on October 22nd, 10 days after her death, 
Vicious attempted suicide by splitting his wrist with a smashed light bulb. Ugh. And then he was hospitalized at Bellevue Hospital, where he also tried to kill himself by jumping from a window shouting, I want to be with my Nancy, or other similar words. But he was pulled Dude. back by hospital staff. Um, in a November 1978 interview, he said that Spongeon's death was meant to happen, that Nancy always said she died before she was 21. Near the end of the interview, he was asked if he was having fun. In, in reply, he asked the interviewer if he was kidding, adding that he would like to be under the ground. Uh, anyway, Polk said that despite Spongeon's mother's refusal to spread his ashes mm-hmm. on her thing, Jerry only Jerry only drove Beverly and her sister and two of Vicious's friends to the cemetery where Spongeon was buried, where Beverly scattered Vicious's ashes over Spongeon's grave. Anyway, Howie Pyro also went along with the group to scatter Vicious's ashes, said in a 2009 documentary that he felt Spongeon killed herself and Vicious was innocent. To me, she just did it herself because that's what people like that do, like teenagers who cut themselves. Pyro said that he thought Spongeon was desperate for attention and stabbed herself, thinking Sid would come to her rescue, but that he was too intoxicated to do so. Mm. Shortly after Sid's death, his mother claimed that Vicious and Spongeon made a suicide pact and that Vicious's death was not accidental. Beverly claimed that after Vicious was cremated, she found a handwritten note in the pocket of Vicious's leather jacket. It read... We had a death pact, and I have to keep my half of the bargain. Please bury me next to my baby. Bury me in my leather jacket, jeans, and motorcycle boots. Goodbye. Who found that note? His mom. Oh, okay. In his jacket. Yeah, I don't know who any... I didn't know who she was at all. I mean, I know who Sid Vicious is and Sex Pistols, but I never thought it was very... Uh, punk is kind of dumb. You but, don't like it. Um, she looks... I looked her up, and she looks just... Uh, she looks like Courtney Love kind of thing. Yeah. Like, it looks like... I think Courtney Love's prettier, but... You think? Yeah. I don't know if I agree with that. Really? I think Nancy Spongeon wasn't very. She pretty. wasn't. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm wrong. I can't. I just looked at it for a second. Yeah. I don't think Courtney Love's very attractive. Yeah. I think she can be. If we just give her a makeover. Yeah. An American timelines makeover. She needs an American timelines makeover. Maybe for we sure. can. Maybe we can talk her into that. Ryan would kick you in the neck. Oh, he, saying th- he thinks she's attractive. He loves Courtney Love. Oh, he does. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah, but just because he lo- like he loves her music, though, right? No, he loves her, just as a person, mm-hmm. as a everything sexually. Okay, well, I guess she's hot. Um, and then yes. we have another number one s- single on the Billboard charts. Yeah, Rod Stewart jumps on to the number one Ugh. spot on Saturday, February tenth, nineteen seventy nine. I just remember he had the tightest spandex pants on in this, in this video. video. They're black, and you could, it, they were plum smugglers. You could see every, you could see, scrotum you could see but that he was circumcised. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was, it was gross. Well, royalties from this song were donated to the United Nations Children's Fund. Mm-hmm. And Stewart performed the song at the Music for UNICEF concert at the United Nations General Assembly in January mm-hmm. of 79. It's been noted that Stewart created parts of the song through musical plagiarism. Copyright infringement lawsuit by Brazilian musician Jorge Benjor mm-hmm. claimed the chorus of the song had been derived from his song Taj Mahal. Oh, really? Yeah, we'll have to listen to that. Mm-hmm. The case was settled amicably, according to Jorge Benjor, mm-hmm. in Benjor's favor. What? Oh, in his favor. In his favor. Got it. Uh, Stewart admitted in his autobiography to unconscious plagiarism. Uh, he admitted he also took the song's signature synthesizer riff right that we listen to right now yeah. from the string arrangement of Bobby Womack's If You Want My Love. Put something down on it. Oh, so he did rip other people off. Yeah, Stewart contends that it is legal to lift a line from any song's arrangement as long as the core melody line isn't copied. Let's listen to Taj Mahal real quick. Yeah. Call my mother. Rod Stewart is so unattractive. I don't know how people ever thought he was an attractive-looking guy. I I always, half the time I think he's gay, but then he's married. He's always married to supermodels and stuff. Yeah, he don't think he's gay. He's just uh, not attractive. But if you like, if you've seen him on like uh, Amer- uh, American Idol and stuff, he acts real gay now. Rod Stewart? Mm-hmm. When was he on American Idol? He was like a guest, like 
he, they get a voice lesson with Rod Stewart. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. When did you watch yeah, that? Real gay. Ooh, probably a while back. This is, what is this called? This is Taj Mahal by Jorge Ben. So we're listening for the chorus. Yeah. I'm supposed to say, if you want to love it. Sexy, come on, you sugar, let, let me, me know. know. Oh, yeah. You want me to take me, just reach out and touch me. Come on, honey, tell me so. Definitely. Yep. Yep, that's definitely that one. And then the synthesizer riff. Do we want to listen to that or do we not care? What is it? What it's they from say? Bobby Womack's If You Want My Love. Let's see. There it is. You hear that synthesizer? It's the same thing? Yeah, it's exactly. So, Rod Stewart's on to something. Just steal two different songs. Rod Stewart uh, is a ripoff artist. Yep, Rod Stewart's a piece of shit. Anybody who likes him, you are no longer allowed to listen to our podcast. No, we don't have to. We always don't have to go to that extreme. No, we did. In fact,. Um, I think you should uh, move right. out of the country if you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I actually like some Rod Stewart songs. So um, you do like what? His, I like his wife Kelly Emberg. I had a poster. It was he was married to a gal named Kelly Emberg. I had a poster of her. Mm-hmm. She was in a bathing suit when I was a kid, and I was in junior high. She He's was, like, so unattractive. Flag. She was beautiful. Yeah, we talked about that. You've established that you're not attracted to Rod Stewart, Ugh. which is weird because I look just like him. And then Tuesday, February 20th, 1979, PBS's This Old House premiered. All right. That, yep. yep. Who cares about that? My grandparents watched it all the time. The only thing they I don't think anything together. ever happened on that show, it didn't seem like. They were just building porches and stuff. Yeah, that's pretty like. much they were it. They just hammering nails. Yep. Yeah. I don't know how that could be entertainment, but who knows? Uh, it was a very controversial show mm-hmm. among building contractors. And the cast were afraid that they were giving away secrets of the building trades. My grandparents loved it. Yeah. That's all they watched. Oh, what are you doing? They were watching this old house. So I just assumed anytime I wasn't there, my grandparents were just watching this old house. That's all they did. And then Wednesday, February 21st, 1979, Jennifer Love Hewitt was born in Waco, Texas to Patricia May, a speech-language pathologist, and Herbert Daniel Hewitt, Hewitt, a medical technician. What do we really have to have these birthdays? Why you love do it. that? Jennifer Love Hewitt. You're just a big Jennifer Love Hewitt fan. And then Saturday, March 10th, 1979, mm-hmm. Rod Stewart is overtaken on the Billboard charts by something that you will be thrilled to hear. Everybody tell me all about this song. Oh, yes. First I was afraid. I was petrified. This is now a karaoke podcast. No, I won't make it a karaoke podcast. The song's lyrics describe the narrator's discovery of personal strength following an initially devastating breakup. Mm-hmm. It received heavy airplay in 1979, reaching number one on the Billboard Hot 100 and on the UK singles chart on consecutive weeks. I love it. Gloria Gaynor's I Will Survive. The song is also frequently recalled as a symbol of female strength. Yes. And as a gay anthem. Yes. In 2016, the Library of Congress deemed Gaynor's original recording to be culturally, historically, or artistically significant and selected it for preservation in the National Recording Registry. Good. It better be. No. It's an awesome song. Our daughter um, loves girl power. Yes, she's always like, girl power. This is girl power. I love girl power. Yes. Which is good. Good for her. She She used to love those uh, Baruch Assault songs. Yeah. Seether. She loves yeah. the girl with rock and stuff. Yep. Yep. Anyway, that was Gloria Gaynor. I will survive. And then Tuesday, March 13th, 1979, mm-hmm. the Ropers premiered. Oh, boy. It was the best television show in American history by far. The Every, Ropers? Everyone agrees. Yes. Yep. It was a spinoff of Three's Company. Nobody pooped. That's how we know. That's how we know that it, it was a good show. Nobody pooped. That's what we learned. What? We learned when, when MASH... 
the ma- the oh. mash finale. Nobody pooped until it was all over. the toilets like uh, all the toilets overflowed as soon as the mash it was over. Was over all the plumbing toilets. systems. Yep. Everybody was waiting to shit. Until <laughs> <I got mashed. laughs> yes. Yeah, that or something about the show made them all shit. Yep. Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, the premiere of The Ropers was a spinoff of Three's Company, and it was loosely based on the British sitcom George and Mildred, which was itself a spinoff of Man About the House, which Three's Company is based on. Jeez. The series focused on... It's a mid- lot of inbreeding. ...on a middle-aged couple, Stanley, played by Norman... Phil. ...motherfucking Phil, the greatest American human. Not only the greatest <laughs> actor, but the greatest human to yep. ever... Grace the earth. Norman motherfucking fell. You think he's dead? And Helen Roper. Yeah, he is dead. I, I attended this funeral. You did not. And Helen Roper, Audrey Lindley. She's not bad herself, but she's no Norman motherfucking fell. They were landlords to Jack, Janet, and Chrissy on Three's Company. In the spinoff, the Ropers have sold their apartment building in the Three's Company episode, An Anniversary Surprise, mm-hmm. to live in the upmarket community of Cheviot Hills where the social climbing Helen struggled to fit in with her neighbors. Stanley made little attempt to fit in with the standards of the community, thereby causing Helen much embarrassment. Yes. As was the case during their time on Three's Company, opening credits for the Ropers alternate between Audrey Lindley and Norman Fell credited first. Even oh. though Norman Fell is officially the greatest human that's ever lived. You're just misogynist. No, oh, I love Audrey Lindley. She did a great job. And women are great. They just... No woman will ever be as great as Norman Fell. Sorry. I, I don't know about that. Norman Fell? Those looks no. he gave to the camera? Yeah, there was like a lot of those. Look straight at the yep. camera. Those were the best. <laughs> best actor ever. I love all women, but there no one will ever be Norman Fell. As strong a woman as Norman Fell. And then Friday, March 16th, 1979, mm-hmm. The China Syndrome. Okay. Came out. You know what this movie is? I think it's a nuclear disaster movie. It's a movie about a nuclear meltdown caused by a faulty sensor reading Mm -hmm. and a stuck open pressure release valve. And it aired 12 days before the Three Mile Island meltdown caused by a faulty sensor reading and a stuck open pressure release valve. You're kidding. Yeah. It was the same reason? Same thing. Yeah. Is that weird? That is weird. Creepy. It is creepy. Do, 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 do. That that proves that every television show and movie can predict is just the a, future. It's just a precursor to a real life event. It, like Three's Company. Yeah, like Three's Company ha- happened somewhere. Really? Yeah. So guy did the Ropers. Yeah, some guy did. To be gay. Everything that's been on TV and... eventually has happened or will happen. Really? Everything. Planet of the Apes. Officially, this proves it. Yep, Planet of the Apes will happen. Oh, that makes me nervous. The Muppets will happen. Sometimes I think Planet of the Apes is happening. It might be. With the rulers that we currently have, You're saying the leaders that we currently have, monkeys. I'm saying that that's, that's insulting poop? to monkeys. You ever have poop thrown at you at the uh, zoo? No. Oh. Have you? Well, no. Looking, we can cut this part out. Why? Saturday, March twenty fourth, nineteen seventy nine. Yeah. We got another number one song for that ass. The Bee Gees are back on top. Tragedy. Is that what it is? Yep. Barry, Robin, and Maurice Gibb wrote this song along with Too Much Heaven and an afternoon off for making Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band movie, which this, they were starring. This one sucks. Yeah, this song, this song is called Tragedy by the yeah. Bee Gees. It's terrible and shitty. Because it's starting to get that 80s synthesizer involved. Yo. No, there's the falsetto. <laughs> there's the falsetto. Hey, it reminds me of Derek for Chopper Broccoli. Yeah. Like picture Dana Carvey right now. When he I sings. can't I can't not picture um Very good. Justin Timberlake oh. and Jimmy Fallon. Yeah. So I did look up that remember I've been saying that I think they yeah. originated the, those two making yeah. out. And I, I watched a skit on that. And I, they didn't kiss or anything. They just so maybe that was my original. I, mean, I probably humor. think it was your but they, warped they, mind. They did act completely ridiculous and weird. And yeah, how they were like singing in each other's faces and stuff and wearing the same thing. But it was pretty funny. I, I didn't know they did a yeah skit. That was a lot later. T- yeah, Timberlake and Fallon are funny. The thing is though that they they've taken that whole laugh at my own joke. Yeah, thing. I'm laughing so hard at my own jokes mm-hmm. that I'm breaking character to a, just a Dumb level extreme. where it's like. It's, it's funny once in a while, yeah. if that's really, truly happening. 
Right. Like, it, it should be saved for something that's so funny that's really breaking character. But when you do it every single time... It's not funny. Then it just gets like... Okay, then you're indulgent. Yeah, you're just... You're just like... You're only doing it as a mm-hmm. gag. Because you know people think that's so great. Yeah. You're being indulgent. So it drives me nuts when I see somebody do it. Because it then becomes a popular thing in comedy. Like, mm-hmm. people break character just so the audience cracks up. I don't know. Yeah. Thing. It bothers me sometimes. But when it really, truly happens and it's genuine, it's great. But... But a lot of times anyway. it's fake and phony. Fake and fuck phony. Fuck those people. Yep, fuck them. Wednesday, March 28, 1979, Three Mile Island happened that I was talking about, I was referring yeah. to. Um, it was the most significant accident in U.S. commercial nuclear power plant history. Where was Three Mile Island? Um, a dumb, is uh, it a dumb question? Pennsylvania. Dauphin oh. County, Pennsylvania. Okay. Near Harrisburg. It was the most significant accident. Yeah, uh, the incident was rated a five on the seven-point international nuclear event scale. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't think it really. I don't think it killed anybody or anything. But the accident crystallized anti-nuclear safety concerns among activists and the general public and resulted in new regulations for the nuclear industry. It has been cited to have been the catalyst to the decline of a new reactor construction program, a slowdown that was already underway in the 70s. The partial meltdown resulted in the release of radioactive gases and radioactive iodine into the environment. Anti-nuclear movement activists expressed worries about regional health effects from the accident. However, epidemiological studies... Mm -hmm. Which I don't know why they they bring in studies of the epididymis in this. Yeah. Uh, the epididymis is in your penis. Oh, yeah. Uh, they're analyzing the rate of cancer in and around the area since the accident. They determined there was a small statistically non-significant increase in the rate and thus no causal connection. Liking the accident with these cancers has been substantiated. No, no causal connection linking the accident with these cancers has been substantiated. Mm-hmm. Cleanup didn't end until 1993, with a total cleanup cost of about $1 billion. Wow. Yep, and then we're into April. Oh, so um, you're ready for me. I'm ready for you to start your stupid, crappy bullshit, whatever it is. Just kidding. What? You're beautiful. You're a beautiful woman. Let's take a little mini, little mini breather. Oh, you want to make out a little bit? Okay, so my story is loosely ends in April of 1979 at some point. Okay, so we're just kind of going to jump back a little bit, but then end and back into Mm -hmm. April of 79. That's right. This is called the Enfield Poltergeist Haunting. The Enfield? Enfield. Oh, Enfield. E-N? E-N-F-I-E-L-D. Oh, so not like a baseball infield. No, Enfield. And this is a poltergeist. Poltergeist haunting. What was Excuse that me. sound? <laughs> so this is a... <laughs> this is wait, a wait, 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 wait. I don't know what that was. This is a poltergeist. <laughs> Sorry. Stop laughing. So this, um, so this is a fake thing. It's not, no. Not real. No, I didn't Polter- say that. Yeah. Poltergeist well, is noisy ghost in German. Right, but... It just means that things are moving and stuff. It's right, but I'm saying it's... Because poltergeists aren't real, this is a How fake story. How do you know story. they aren't real? I'm an I'm an I'm an adult. All right. I'm an adult human. All right, Mister. Uh, aliens are real. Aliens are real. That's been proven. We all know it. All right. So anyway, have you this seen occurred... Sammy Davis Jr.? Stop no it. one can have that much talent. This occurred in the London suburb of Enfield in, between August 1977 and April 1979. Wait, it, it occurred where? In the London suburb of Enfield. Oh, okay. It is by far England's most famous haunting and one of the most documented poltergeist cases in history. This is American timelines, not England. I don't care. Every once in a while, (laughs) I've branched out before. You have? Yes. And every once in a while, you got to do that. Did you enjoy our makeout session earlier? What are you talking about? We took a break for a makeout session. All right. Okay. Wait a minute. Oh, no. Oh, we better. Oh, never mind. Cancel this podcast. Never mind. Okay. So the house <clears throat> is 284 Green Street, a three-bedroom, government-owned, semi-detached house dating from the 1920s. Okay. 
At this time, it was occupied by a family consisting of 47-year-old divorcee Peggy Hodgson. That sounds hot. 47-year-old divorcees are my thing. And her four children, Margaret, 13, Janet, 12, John, 11, and Billy, 7. Mm, Okay, and they all had British accents? Yes. Peggy Hodgson was considered by those who knew her to be a pleasant and conscientious person, overcoming financial insecurity to do her best for her children. Good for her. Margaret was serious and reserved. Janet, lively and extrovert. John was only at home during the school holidays and some weekends since he boarded at a special school. Nobody really knows why he did that was the case. Nobody knows that? Not even him? It's unclear. But they all had bad teeth because they're British, right? Probably. Billy suffered from a severe speech defect, but in other respects was a typical little boy. Mrs. Hodgson's brother, John Burkholm, a hospital worker, lived nearby at 272 Green Street. Oh, that's convenient. With his wife, Sylvia, and their two children, Paul and Denise. Oh, well, that's great. They're cousins. They can play. They're real close by. Nothing bad will happen. the, The two families appeared to be close, and John was supportive towards Hodgson's. The Hodgson's next door neighbors were builder Vic Nottingham, his wife Peggy and their twenty-year-old son Gary, who was probably a loser. Yeah, I was gonna say this Gary sounds like bad news. This yeah. guy, I'm just twenty go years old, living with his parents in the seventies. What a piece of shit! If you weren't often married at twenty, in the yeah, 70s. I know you're supposed to be gone. You're supposed to be married in high school. What a loser Gary is. Yep. Or gay because back then you weren't allowed to be gay. That's so right. You'd have to just live with your parents. The relations between the families were seen to be friendly and supportive. The family was going through a tough time. Peggy's husband had recently left, and they subsisted on government assistance and child support. Yeah, that happens. It's tough. So, tough August days. 31st, 1977. Oh, the same day, August 31st, 1977. Oh, my gosh. You Are you going to tell me something about the same day that uh, the Calacacs were on TV? A, a show starring David Huddleston and Edie McClurg, where J.T. Calacac inherits a gas station in nowhere, California, and moves this fam- family from Appalachia. Wife Venus, teenage Bonnie Lou, and Junior are joined by dim-witted employee Oscar. JT tries to get rich by scams and not paying taxes. You're, Same day that yes, show was on? that was necessary. <laughs> it was necessary. About that show nine, was on TV, the Calicax. About 9.30 p.m., the children Janet and John heard shuffling in their bedroom. It sounded like someone dragging their feet in slippers. Really? I like that sound. Their mother entered the room, and all three heard these knocking sounds that started. And Yeah, but they were, like, all over the room. All right. A chest of drawers moved 18 inches across the room without any apparent physical contact. What? They immediately went to fetch help from the Nottingham's next door. Now, you said fetch help. That was what British people would say. Yes. It, it is? I'm going to go fetch help. Are you going to say go fetch help? No, I guess not. Um, so Vic and Gary Nottingham entered the, oh, the loser Gary. Yep. And they heard more knocks. Oh, they're, they're corroborating the story. huh? So Vic later stated that he could find no source for the knocks, which seemed to follow him around the house. At this point, Peggy Nottingham called the police. Oh, because of the knocking. Yeah. Because they couldn't figure it out. The knocking was chasing Vic. Mm hmm. Follow him around the now house. Why is he walking around their house? Just he's trying to follow. He's oh. just walking, and as he goes, it's kind of following. At this him. point, we're not. There's no reason to hate Vic. No. Or be suspicious of Vic. So just the um, the police arrive around one one a.m. Heaps, one of the WPC Heaps, was one of the police. Witnessed a chair move <laughs> three or four feet. Wait, WPC Heaps? Yes. Heaps was the last name of this oh. police officer. Oh, WPC is his title? Is whatever that means in England. Oh, Heaps witnessed a, a chair Are move. Are you okay? Yeah. What you, what's wrong with your leg? I always move my feet and legs. <laughs> like that? Not like that, though? Okay, well, you're just moving? Okay. I'm you're moving. not having a conniption or something? Okay. WPC Heap. Heaps witnesses a chair move three to four feet across the living room floor without any physical contact. Huh. Just gently, I guess, huh? Yep. And there was more knockings also after that. Over the next few days, marbles and toy Lego building blocks ap- appeared to fly around the house of their own volition. And huh. when they would go over to pick, pick them up, they would be hot to the touch. What? Yep. Like hot? Mm-hmm. Witnesses, and this was witnessed by members of the family and the Nottinghams. There followed visits by uh, po- other police, clergymen, and others, but none of these deterred the phenomena, which continued unabated. Everybody saw it happen. Everybody did. So there's video of it now. Yes. 
There's video of it? Yes. There's. We'll get to it. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Well, what? On September 4th, 1977. Oh, the same day that A Year at the Top was on? Uh, this is a sitcom starring Greg Evigan and Paul Schaefer. I didn't know Paul Schaefer even acted. I know. I can't believe this existed. I'm so excited. It was called A Year at the Top. Greg and Paul are rock musicians who leave their home in Boise, Idaho for Hollywood. They find Frederick J. Hanover, a promoter, who has found a lot of famous rock musicians. However, Greg and Paul learn that Hanover is the devil's son. And in return for a year of fame and fortune, they must sign away their souls. Okay. A year at the top. That is... Greg Evigan and Paul Schaefer right. were on a sitcom together where That's they crazy. sign away their souls to the devil. I love it. I wish I... Wish you How did it not go for 70 seasons in a movie? It probably sucked. What? You take that back immediately. Well, I'm just saying. It must have. Greg Evigan's name will not be disparaged on this podcast. All right. So on September 4th, Mrs. Nottingham phoned the Daily Mirror in the hope that it would put her in touch with someone who could help. Hello. Because the police were coming over and they were like, there's nothing we can do. We can't figure out what what it is and what's going on here. Except they said more like, there's nothing we can do here. Yeah. Chap. Right on. Chap. Both. um, So... Instead, they sent over these reporters and Douglas Bentz and then a photographer, Graham Morris. Visited oh, the house. Bentz and Morris, y'all. Both men witnessed flying objects, and the photographer was even hit on the forehead by a piece of Lego that traveled at speed and ended up bruising him, left him a bruise for a week what? on his head. A Lego doesn't bruise you for a week. Uh, have you been around our children? I've stepped on them, but I've never gotten I've hit. I've gotten by. a bruise on, from stepping on them, probably. Yeah, stepping on them. I've or never had you, one chucked at full speed at my head, though. Well, if you put one all the way up your anus, I bet that would be you bet. painful. You've heard. I've heard. <laughs> you bet. Heard rumors. Yeah. <laughs> Ridiculous. Heard rumors about right. the Lego up the anus. But here comes Chuck Berry. Oh, we're going to have to leave this as a cliffhanger. Well, that's all we got for this. Thank you for listening to this episode. Uh, thanks always for your support. Thanks for listening. Oh, <coughs> Subscribing you and know, telling you can do a, a little friend. More. Which you can do a little more. But, I mean, you've done a lot, and I thank you. But couldn't you do a little bit more? Like just, I don't know, shout it from the rooftops, shake a neighbor and tell them to listen. Comment, like our yeah. uh, post. You know, you, a thing you can do is just steal someone's iPhone. Don't steal it, but like grab it, snatch it out of their hands when you see them using it, and then look up American Timelines on there. Subscribe them. And then like get, subscribe them, uh, and then give it five stars. That'll help. And then just throw it back at us take that sucker that's right all right or just tell them to listen to it anyway goodbye good night get out of here get out of here take it away man Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com.